0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Secrets of the Sire. We do this every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, talkradio.nyc, and streaming live on facebook.com slash Secrets of the Sire. We talk comics, movies, TV, pop culture, all the fun stuff that you love to talk about is exactly what we talk about. And we have awesome guests in tonight, but first I want to always introduce my co-host, Mr. Hassan Godwin. Lord of the Radio. Yes, I know. Lord of the Radio. I know. I know. I know. Lord of the Radio. Right. Right. All right. Got it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. As Hold long on. as, as long as you get, as long as you get your time. Yeah,
1: yeah. You. But sometimes you kind of slack on that contractual
0: obligation. It's <laughs> contractually. Oh, yes. I'm, contractually it contractual. well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not being. Um, I'm not slacking today. How's that not today? today. Not How's today. that sound? Yeah, today, that's great. Today, I did it. And today we are also you? welcoming a very special guest in here, uh, who has a. Had an amazing career in the comic book industry, Mr. Paul Levitz. Welcome aboard. Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. I, are you? Because you haven't seen the show yet, have you? No, <laughs> that's the way we look at it.
2: <laughs> you know, it's, uh,
0: it's an interesting experience. <laughs> we haven't even gotten started yet, so that's even better. <laughs> so today, I, Sam, you made it a point, which I thought was, was pretty cool, uh, to say that we are going to be having the former president of DC Comics on And yet, we're going to be talking about the 20th anniversary of a Marvel movie. Uh, But, what's really cool is we are going to be doing a retro review of Blade, uh, just kind of talking about it, talking about its significance to the comic book industry, because I think it was really significant. But, Paul was kind enough to be like, hey, I've got some really great stories about the creation of the character itself. Do you want to hear about it? And I was like, yeah, I want to hear about it. This is exactly what I want to hear. So, see, it, it, it all works. It all works. See, it all kind of goes together. So... Uh, real quick, before we get going, I want to introduce our sponsor, because he's awesome, Uh and Speed Printing and Graphics Incorporated. They've done a couple of my Kickstarter books. It's been exciting. Uh, they do quality graphics and printing at a great price. Uh, they do a lot of shipping as well, too, so uh, be sure to use them. Go check them out at sp-g.com. All right. We are back, and we are going to be talking Blade. It's the 20th anniversary. I mean, amazingly enough, it came out in 1998. Um, from a lot of folks that I talked talked to in the industry, just in general, people who worked at Marvel at the time, they didn't even think it was going to be very good. Like, they really didn't.
1: Really. Why would it have been
0: good?
3: Marvel, Marvel
1: movies were not good at the time, like at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, think back, uh, Captain America. Yeah. Or Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the Punisher with uh, Dolph Lundgren, right? Yeah. So those are two. Those are the two precursors. Yeah. Okay. Compared to Batman, and, yeah. uh, you know a, a bunch of other uh, DC uh, classics, and then it's a it's a movie about a vampire. It's a vampire movie. Yeah. So okay, it's a horror movie with a, about a vampire. Yeah. So that's also you know uh, industry poison. Yeah. You know, and the the lead is an African American. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's <laughs> it's actually something you would invest in to make sure you lost money. It's springtime for Hitler in Germany, right there. <laughs> Theoretically.
0: And yet, what it did was it washed out the taste the of out of all of us. Batman and Robin, the Schumacher oh. film that, that did not, you know, that kind of brought things down to a level. Paul, from your experience at DC at the time, what, were, was, what was the reaction to the film when it came out?
2: Was there any? None. None. <laughs> you know, I think Hassan's point about the expectations for Blade are right. I'd add to it that Marvel had licensed the property for what you could gently call a microscopic fee, mm-hmm. so they didn't have very much money at stake to get on it. Yeah. New Line was not a major studio at the time, didn't do high-level marketing. Mm-hmm. This was a very niche thing. Yeah, um, The DC reaction was sort of, oh, you know, that's nice, except it's sad that... You know, that that Marv is all pissed about it and busy suing Marvel sure. over uh, their ability to do it, but it was really not a major event in the grand scheme of life. Talk to us about the formation of the character, because I know that was one of the things that, that you actually were kind of witness to, in a way. Well, I was lucky enough, Marv is a dear old friend, mm-hmm. and in the years when he was doing Tomb of Dracula, we were... Playing poker every Friday night, basically,
0: um, and that's the show that comes out at nine o'clock on talk radio. No, no, no,
2: no. <laughs> I can hang hang into another <laughs> depending, <on> <laughs> depending on the week, Marv might have a portfolio of Gene Colan's original pages with him to take home to dialogue, mm-hmm. or we might be at Marv's house in Queens, and he might pull them down off the shelf. Oh, Gene, so awesome. <laughs> He Was really an extraordinary penciler, but also his pencils are so different than the final eighth version. Mm-hmm. Uh, more so than a great many artists of his generation, mm-hmm. he tended to. Oh, use... Gene Colan was amazing. I, I mean, just I, I mean, I'm
0: cutting in, and I don't mean to cut in, it's but uh, his work, along with like Neil Adams, you know. Uh, so, yeah. I and mean, this is this is like this is we're getting geeky here, you know. Yeah, we, but uh, you
2: could see. If you saw Neil's stuff inked, you had a pretty good idea of what Neil's pencils looked like. At least when he had a, a good inker working. Sure. With him, whether that was Dick or um, even Tom even Tom Palmer, who would alter Neil's work more than Dick would, but you still saw an awful lot of Neil's stuff come sure. through. Gene, because he worked with the side of the pencil mm-hmm. a lot, yeah. was doing a lot of tricks that really weren't reproducible in comics at the time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And those pages were so gorgeous. They were so inspiring. Yeah, Marv had really kind of just come into his own as a writer. He'd been doing it for, oh, probably at that point, seven or eight years, maybe ten years. Um, and at the time he's writing Dracula, not the time Blade comes out, um, he's really got a voice at this point, and he's really founded on this book. Sure. Uh, you know, as a comic collector, comic fan, I would bind my comics. Uh, like you would bind law books in a library. Yeah, yeah. And I would usually have my writer and artist friends, and they would come to the house, sign what I thought was their, their best mo- or my most favorite work of theirs. Okay. And for Marv, it wasn't Teen Titans. It was Tomb of Dracula. Because <laughs> uh, so I really thought that was, that was a perfect moment for him so it, it's a back seat you know probably third mezzanine to watching blade come to life but you would sit there and you'd see the rough of it marv would get all enthusiastic about this latest character he was introducing or this latest element to the ensemble that he was building in Dracula mm-hmm. and it was just it was really a wonderful moment
0: yeah i mean i could i, I it's funny too because anytime um, you know, for anybody who, who, who's joining us, who doesn't uh, know. Paul's been in the industry for thirty years. Uh, at one time, was president of DC Comics. He'd done so many great things, which is which is awesome, uh, especially for guys like us because you know, I don't know. We just we grew up Bums. on this stuff. We've done nothing. Well, no, no, no. no okay, oh, I'm sorry. this is this is something. I mean, it's, <laughs> okay, no, I take it back. It's less than nothing. But uh, middling, It's bad. middling. Yes, it. middling. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, you know. But to hear these stories, I remember too. We always lament. Uh, so we were obviously ex-Wizard guys. So I always lament the fact that um, you know we miss Knuckles. We miss like you know oh, yeah. being able to congregate yeah. with all these ind- industry professionals. Yeah. I mean, I nope. you were, when did you start? You worked you were at Valiant first. Yeah, I started at Valiant. And when did you move over to Wizard?
1: Oh, um, I don't know. Valiant was something like ninety two, ninety three. Wow, you're old, dude. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And um, uh, we, I jumped over to uh, to Wizard maybe in 99. So I okay. was at Valiant for like five years. Okay. And then two years in, in in the middle. That's fuzzy math, by the way. It's fair enough. Just, I'm just letting you know. I was at Valiant for like five years. Okay. And then there were two years in the middle, and then I joined Wizard okay. in 99. That's, that math is direct. Okay. That's, that's it, solid it, math. That
0: right. makes sense now. now yeah, well, you didn't give me a chance to finish. Sure. Because uh, I jo- I joined Wizard in, in 2002. I was an intern in 2001, though. Yeah, I remember the sure. experience. you was still
2: alive in 2002.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know who killed it. <laughs> so, no, no, no. I didn't kill it. I didn't kill it. But yes, I'll tell you what. He killed it. I'll yeah, tell you no, what. He though, totally we, killed it. There was a period of time when we would walk into work, and you just didn't know if you were getting fired. And not because you did a bad yeah. job. You just didn't know. You just you felt the walls kind of crumbling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so right yeah. before release, we released the sire, which was the uh, my first indie. I book, made it yeah, all right? the way up to 2009. Yeah, oh nine. I mean, that's just anxiety, like written all over it. Like there's, no, nothing, no, there's nothing good about walking a, into it a wasn't job.
1: A, it wasn't a, it wasn't an amusement park. No. <laughs> it wasn't a trip to the amusement park. No. But I did make it to two thousand nine, and no. was, and then it was over. And then it was it was pretty much over when it was over for me.
0: Yeah, no. I, I, the funny thing is, too. So you're the one who killed it.
2: <laughs> see, I got out. I, I'm just looking to see who's got the fingerprints on the gun. It's, it's, yeah. it's
1: very arguably logical to say that I killed it. Heck, I would I, think I so. Thank it. you. <laughs> it's always better to have a confession. Than those things. I would think so. I would think it be upfront with it. And I'm not going to make it home. <laughs> the comic book police are going to get me.
0: <laughs> Wait, the oh. comic book police still went under with Wizard. So what do, you, what, do you, what do you care? All you right, all right. We're circling right, okay. back. We're circling yeah, back I'll to boy a little through. bit. Um, the fact, that, and son, if you were to, if you were to review this movie right now, twenty years after the fact, does it still hold up? Yep. It does, right? Yeah.
1: Actually, it started so many things that that are kind of standard industry action movie. It started Bullet Time, okay. So they were we didn't have. I mean, it would it did Bullet Time before The Matrix did Bullet. Sure. Time. Um, it kind of made vampires like it was. It was a couple of years removed from like the Twilight vampire. Display, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it did. It did do vampires at a time when vampires were not popular, and it kind of it it kind of kind of kickstarted like the idea that vampires could be revisited. Uh it took a little more time and then it went into the terrible uh twilight direction, but it, you know, but it did do vampires when no one was really doing vampires the movie, not the not the comic book. Sure. And um it, it there was there was a slickness to it. There's, you know, there was a style to it. So I mean, there's yeah. There's the, there's the overall story. Is one guy he's got a grudge. He's going to kill everybody who he's angry at. That's pretty much the, the format. Sure. You know his his grudge is legitimate. Mm-hmm. You know when you when you when you hatch open his uh, his backstory. Uh, the people he's mad at are he's mad at them for a legitimate reason. Mm-hmm. And the and the, the people he kills are, are genuine baddies. Yeah. You know, so all of that stuff is standard fare. But there was a style, sure. to the way it was told. And the way it was kind of, especially that the the you know maybe the opening 10, 15 minutes, the way it all, it all kind of unraveled, mm-hmm. so that you exactly you realize exactly who the players were and what you know, and then there's the the, the visuals. I mean, look, um, I'm not the first one to say this, but the introduction of Blade, who is, if you're into uh, color theory or whatever. The introduction of Blade, all the vampires are covered in blood.
0: You're hitting all the points. Pulse is smiling at all the points. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're hitting all the, the, all the stuff that, that, like... All, all the vampires are, are covered us. in blood. They're, yeah. they're,
1: and they're in this, this warm color and Blade is... Introduced. You know, our audience is like, I like vampires. And Blade There's is introduced anything. and he's in this, in this cold blue. So it signifies, sure. it, you know, it, 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 it personifies him as other from all mm-hmm. these other characters. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you start, you roll out this action sequence. So Comic book-wise, it had the visuals. Yeah, cinematically, it had a slickness and a style to it yeah. that wasn't that we weren't you know we weren't used to at the time. Yeah, and and, and premise-wise, it was a format that we all were very familiar with that we could follow. Yeah. So before we even get into the rest of the story, right then mm-hmm. and there, in the in the very beginning, you know, it, it hooked a lot of people almost immediately.
0: So just for just for historian's sakes. Uh, it was created by Marvel of Men and Gene Colan, as we were talking about. First appeared in Tomb of Dracula. It was a sporting character in a book featuring a number of vampire hunters. Blade's early appearances, drastically different than the one Wesley Snipes ended up doing. Uh, that being said, it was huge. Now the question that I throw out there for everyone, and I threw that there on social media this week though, is what happened? We've got a Marvel universe full of distinct characters. What happened to Blade when we come back?
2: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
3: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
4: Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc.
5: Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or entrepreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show. Follow on me Friday, Friday with Joan and Priya. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern on talkradio.nyc. We're, We're your digital, digital connectors. connectors. Woo, woo. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Talking alternative radio 24 hours a day.
0: To we're gonna su- keep it superficial. Just a brass tack We are very situation. superficial people yes. in general. Well, so we're gonna stick to well, I'm a very superficial person. Yeah, I'm alright. I'm a book by the cover. <laughs> I'm, I'm a great guy. I'm not
3: <laughs> superficial at all. Secrets of the sire. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Secrets of the Sire. We talk comics, movies, TV, pop culture every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. We stream live on talkradio.nyc and we stream live on facebook.com slash secrets of the sire. Again, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, sp Speed Printing and Graphics Incorporated, www.sp-g.com and remind folks that uh, the mainstream number four is in stores right now, mainstream number five, it's about an interdimensional police force, police's alternate realities, keeps bad guys from other worlds from getting into ours. Issue 5, the, pe- the, the, no, the finale, uh, hits stores You're describing year. your own book on my time, buddy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> well, you're paying me money to be here, so.
1: Oh. Uh. No, you're not. We're, we're, we're obviously doing
0: We money every week. We are talking Blade. Uh, do a little retro review. I was talking Blade. Um, Some of the things that I threw out there on social media this week, too, which has been very cool, is, you know, describe your favorite scene from the movie. Is there a scene? Is there a moment? Is there a character that's kind of stuck with you all these years? Mine is it started in the beginning, and then it it ended. The blood rave, everyone talks about the blood rave at the beginning. Like, everyone, that's... And and you know what? If you're going to have an inciting incident, you know, to to, to talk with Paul about uh, dissecting writing, which... um, Teaching, you teach Manhattanville. I know that. But you shared a bunch of, you a bunch of like yeah,
2: prestigious universities. Wherever I get away with it, yeah. <laughs> basically. So uh, this term I'll be at Pace undergrad teaching writing the graphic novel. Yeah, uh, the Manhattanville for writing for the media. I there pretty much every term. Pace's grad school. They do a masters in publishing program. Mm, wow. In oh wow! Fall term I do uh, the business of write, of graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Spring term, I do transmedia in the future publishing okay. usually. and uh, in the spring I'll be back at Columbia for the American Graphic Novel out of their American Studies department. Okay, and wherever I get away with. It.
0: How have you seen the elevation of the graphic novel in in the school systems? I mean, because I we shared a story backstage too about just you know people trying to really elevate the platform. It seems to be something that's now what what used to be kind of like kid stuff has now become a, a legit. You know, not just not just art form, but something that they might want other people to teach and, and to learn uh, as they go.
2: Well, some of it's a chicken and the egg yeah. thing. One major part of it is there's more really literary and artistic work being done in graphic novels mm-hmm. in the last 10 or 15 years than had ever been done before. Mm-hmm. So that's a good reason for educators to study it. And it's also really interesting from an educational standpoint yeah. because it is new. Yeah. So you can find somebody doing the first thing. If you're studying the novel,
3: mm-hmm.
2: there's not a lot mm-hmm. of novels that are groundbreakingly new. It's a format. Yeah. There's a, <laughs> it's a pretty yeah. standard format. You can look and say, oh, all right, Jennifer Egan is the most interesting literary novelist of the moment. and mm-hmm. look at the story structure she's using. But is it that far removed from what was done before? If you look at the graphic novel, you're in a world where you go from Joe Sacco doing journalism, mm-hmm. which had never been done on a broad scale in, with graphic journalism sure. before. There's a whole trend towards what's called graphic medicine, where they're using gra- the graphic novel format to teach medicine. Okay. Uh, to help people oh, interesting. with ailments that they've wow. got. Um, you've got creators doing books. A young woman named Lauren Redness did a book called Radioactive. Yep a couple of years ago, uh, The Life Story of Marie Curie. Mm-hmm. It's not comics. It's graphic in a very different sure. way. It's not a novel because it's nonfiction. I don't know what the fuck <laughs> call it, but it's the sort of thing you can teach in a graphic novel course and saying, hey, this is possible today. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I, I have a packaged lecture that I developed at Pace some years back um, about the evolution of the era of graphic communication. And the generation that's growing up today loves to communicate graphically, whether it's emojis or GIFs, all sorts of tools that are available. They are interested in the graphic form in a way that prior generations weren't. Yeah, And they're creating in it in fascinating ways. They don't look down on it. No, yeah. yeah.
0: I think that was the general tone for a long time too, with, with graphic novels, with comics. It was kids' stuff. It was cartoons. It's not serious. It's not legit. Uh, well, and a
2: lot of it was worth looking down on.
0: Yeah, um, not the stuff with big boobs. I love that. Not
2: that. That's a well, <laughs> Whole separate
0: issue. If I can <laughs> have my daughter I told So you all by $2.
2: yourself. Uh, <laughs> you, you stand alone on that, my friend. But sarcasm. Come on. You got to be good at it, though. That's true. It's a really cool moment in the field. And you also then have a generation of educators Mm -hmm. who are now basically the kids who were introduced to comics with Watchmen and Sandman and the exciting material that was produced in the 80s and the 90s. They know the potential of the form. Mm -hmm. And, okay, so I could teach Shakespeare again... Um, or maybe I can teach Shakespeare on Monday, but could I, could I get a graphic, could I do a graphic novel cor- course, Dean? Um, it's really cool. It's really interesting stuff. We can get a lot of kids to sign up for it. Sure. All right, let's give it a try. Wow. First time we did the American graphic novel at Columbia, they were estimating we'd get about 30 kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we show up the first day and there's 90 there. Wow. Um, they're literally sitting in the aisles. Yeah. I co-teach it there with, uh a real Columbia professor, a guy named Jeremy Dauber, who's a tenured professor of Yiddish, who will, I think, do anything to avoid teaching Yiddish. Uh, but he's deeply mm-hmm. knowledgeable about comics. And like you guys, we sort of do it as a back and forth between the two of us as a course. Sure. Um, load of, have a load of fun with it. We've done it about three times so far. And you have these people who are pushing for it within the systems, and the material is changing, and cumulatively, that all changes the public perception. Sure.
0: now it, it really is. And it's, it's just amazing, too. We'll talk about Watchmen a little bit later. We've got, we got a little bit of Watchmen news going on. Um, it, it's amazing how it's just been elevated in general, though. I mean, it's amazing to me kind of we're – techni- we're Generation X, right? I mean, that's, that's – you and I are in Generation X, and we are the last generation. I don't really like to tell people what the generation I'm from. It's okay. I don't mind. I like people it. I take pride it. in my Generation X. I have X. a lot of enemies. <laughs> do you really? Mm-hmm. Why, love why, love why love don't love they watch the show? We covered that. They should be watching the show right now. We should get double the live hits. With their enemies? Because I see them. Not enough. They're using
1: VPN. We like,
0: don't yeah, have enough. not do have enough live enemies. That's the problem. Uh, but no, we are the generation that can remember uh, using like the the rotary phone, <laughs> and we're not like you know, averse to technology. And in a sense, I feel like we are the the comic book fans that can remember it being kind of look down upon to being the nerd thing to also now you know having mm-hmm. it be like something that's embraced and that's and that's something that uh is, is actually a great parallel to the movie we're talking about which is blade which came out at a time when comic book movies were like it was it was like you're a leper if you're doing comic book movies at this time you know blade was like blade was the first Unless movie you're a batman movie no, no, no! The Batman is what did it. well wow. you know, The '97, yeah, you know, Batman movie. But that was just then. that was, nothing to do with, it, even though was at DC. At the time. That was
2: yeah. that, that was <laughs> that was that last Batman movie. You know,
0: no, you, but
1: could, I, you could I, argue.
2: It's a but it's a fair point. I mean you hadn't you hadn't had a stream of successful comic book movies. Yeah, we had the home runs of the first two Chris Reeves. We had yep. great success with the. First two the Tim Burton directed Batman sure. films. Even the third
0: Batman film was was a success. Okay.
2: In the third Batman. It was well, different. But it was. Joel. Joel's Batman first one forever. did some decent business. Right. It was not. It was not something the other movie studios were sitting there and saying, "Right, can we, we get one of those." Can we? Can we please do that? Yeah. Um, there wasn't a general belief that comics as source material was something you should be looking for. Right. Um, you do a deal here and there. The time period you're talking about is probably when I did the Watchmen film deal mm-hmm. originally with Fox. They were the, the first studio that was supposed to produce it. We did probably another half dozen option deals in those years for various properties. Mm-hmm. A lot of development on some Superman projects, some Batman projects, but Marvel did... About a dozen deals. Yeah. Made a couple of movies that they hope nobody ever sees again. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're cult hits yeah, now. Yeah, they're, they're not good movies. No, they're not good. They were not good movies. <laughs> I mean, we had our share, it's, too.
1: Um, not as many as Marvel. No, uh, I, I know. You <laughs> know, it, it used,
2: used to be ritual to make the new hires watch Super Pup, the TV pilot we did in, in, the, in about 1960 <laughs> with the, the actors' <laughs> midget size in <laughs> dog costumes like wow. that. Bent. Uh-oh. So, you know... We're not not pure, Uh, is all I'm saying here. But at the moment you're talking about with Blade, there was no track record of success for this. Mm -hmm. You're a couple of years away from Spider-Man and X-Men, which is really the turning point where people start saying, oh, okay, there's a market for this Mm -hmm. with a property Mm -hmm. that hasn't already been a TV show, that hasn't already been a major part of popular culture. You know Superman and Batman, although they were comic book movies. You're right, actually. You know, I never they were actually of TV that. Movie shows. Yeah, movies I never that had that. had TV shows before that had been important. They were staples. Yeah, and even Wonder Woman. You know? Yeah, and then you had the Hulk. Because, you had a bunch. You had a bunch you know, of
0: TV shows that had succeeded, which ironically failed as a movie the first two times out. Yeah, but you hadn't
2: yet had a movie based on a comic book. Yeah, that. Quote, unquote, nobody has heard of but the comic book guys. Yeah. And that's really what happens. Even Spider-Man had his TV show. Mm -hmm. X-Men is the first thing where even though all of us knew that it was a property that had an enormous number of people who Mm -hmm. had loved it for a very long time. Incredibly rich intellectual property as it had been developed over the years by Stan and Jack, by Chris. And his many artist collaborators by Len and Dave Cockrum. Rich, rich heritage. We all knew it. The studios didn't know it. They didn't believe in it. Yeah. And you make that, and it was sort of, oh. (laughs) And that's... That's where the ball started rolling. And then there's a little momentum, and then it's the first Iron Man movie that really pushes it over the top. Sure. Because who the hell is Iron Man? He's never been on TV. He was in a couple of cartoons. Um, Downey was not a star at that point in his career. No, no, no. Um, I mean, it was by all accounts, Iron Man was one of the biggest
0: risks. Absolutely, that, that, that could have been done. Period. Uh, but again, obviously, we know how that story turned out. And and ten years later, it's you know now it's the blueprint for cinematic universes. I mean, without a doubt, right?
2: Well, and it's what really convinced the movie industry that there there was meaning in this comic book mine to be tapped.
0: It's a great segue also too. This comes from the Hollywood Reporter. What happened to Blade now? I mean, we're 20 years in. Uh, Wesley Snipes gave Marvel its first box office hit. It was a powerhouse. It's more popular than ever. Uh, however, the vampire hunter has disappeared into the shadows. Uh, while Blade seems relatively simple today, it provided revolution- it, was pr- it was revolutionary for comic book adaptations uh, on a casting, technical, and narrative level. When we come back, we're going to dive into a little bit of this, and then we're going to go into your new series, which I'm pretty excited about. Brooklyn Blood, brand new graphic novel, coming out with Paul Levitz, when we return.
2: You are listening to the Talking Alternative
6: Network.
0: Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat...
5: Talking Alternative Radio, twenty-four hours a day.
0: We uh, talk comics, movies, TV, pop culture—all the stuff that you love—and we do it stuff right here. That um,
1: makes the girls run away.
0: Oh, well, clearly. <laughs>
1: No, 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 this, that is completely <laughs> false. Stuff that makes the girls. That mean. is completely, completely <laughs> I false. I recommended
2: Secrets of the Sire on my show, and I got less female uh, <laughs> <laughs> attention.
3: Secrets of the Sire. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Secrets of the Sire. Again, I want to thank our sponsor, SPNG Printing, sp-g.com, for all of your printing needs. We've got Mr. Paul Rabbits in here. We're talking Blade, which is ironic I, I, again because he was the president of DC and we we're talking about a Marvel movie, but the Blade movie kind of had ramifications throughout. So it actually it's a great talking point in general, but twenty years later, Marvel has this cinematic universe that's out there, and no blade, no blade right now. So I mean, people are actually sitting there wondering, you know how come they haven't been integrated into this? Um, how, would put, it. Well, how would have it? Well, Hollywood reporter did a bit of great uh, piece on this, and they talked about um, you know the fact that obviously it seems simple today. Uh, but just how great, you know, it was. But I think a lot of it lended itself to Wesley Snipes as the lead as the lead character. And obviously you're not going to really bring him back today. You know, I mean, almost reimagining Blade doesn't even make sense in that sense, right? Yeah, it's arguable that Wesley
1: Snipes was the reason it got off the ground in the first place because yeah. n- not a lot of people knew it was a comic book when it first yeah. came out in, in 98, excuse me. And uh, it was, you know, kind of his swagger, I guess, mm-hmm. as the character that allowed it to, you know, kind of take on the, the you know, mythical proportions. And let's not... Let's not uh, forget Chris Christopherson, who is, you know, this amazing... Yeah. Uh, you know, those two characters in general were so much so that they resurrected him for the second and third movie, only to kill him off in the third movie.
3: <laughs> <laughs> which was like
1: ridiculous as far as I was concerned, but I mean, those two characters were, you know, substantially like larger than life characters, mm-hmm. which made up for the fact that you were watching a comic book movie, which a lot of people didn't realize was a comic book movie, and the fact that you were watching kind of a sci-fi action adventure movie that happened to have vampires in it, right? You know, and so it didn't it didn't really play the 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 horror aspect of it, you know, and then also the the, the vampires had this you know, kind of, you know, time-tested, beloved uh, comic book universe trope. Right. And they weren't trying to kill people. They were trying to take over the world. You know, they were trying to, they were trying to, to, to conquer the world, which is a, basically a comic book thing in and of itself. So it had so many aspects of, uh, of so many different genres that kind of blended together almost, like, seamlessly. To make something different, even though it seemed very like as I was saying in the, f- the first segment it seemed very similar right but it was every time you tried to peel it it was it led to something completely different but then you know I mean look they the studios didn't know what they had so they so they tried to they tried to push it for the wrong reasons um, goyer you know was 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 just up and coming yeah. and so they you know he he kind of he kind of made decisions. He kind of made plans and decisions that were
3: <laughs> a little bit above his
1: pay grade, you know, as, as the story started to go on. And then Wesley Snipes really started to feel his own, About, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. his own superstardom.
0: Yeah. So he got a country for tax evasion. And, uh, yeah, just no, before that,
1: though. Everything, everything kind of fell apart before that because, yeah. because so many people kind of decided that Blade was something that they, you know, a vision that they had as opposed yeah. to what it actually was. And, and, and Norrington wasn't even involved in it anymore. Yeah. I and mean, he was another big aspect as to, you know, the director, was another big reason as to why it, it became what it became. So it kind of fell apart before it could become yeah. anything else. You know, and I mean, they did a TV show, and that was... Um,
0: well, you know. my claim of fame, which I'm putting up there for all our well, Facebook... That was fellas. not
1: good, that TV
0: show. No, <laughs> yeah. no. I got I to interview, it. so that is, my, that is the back of my head interviewing Ryan Reynolds, who kind of looks like he's pissed at me right now, and just could be always wonder questioning why. my question right now, and David Gray is <laughs> basically asleep during this interview. wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> and Darren Sanchez, who was our guest co-host a couple weeks ago, is creeping in the background. He's looking at his phone, too. So whatever I was doing were... Riveting. Very, very, yeah. it was questionable at yeah. best. But I I'm going to picture You really know how that. to reel them in. Actually, really no, the back of my head is in a picture with all three of them. So that was, that was my claim it to fame. the back with of your Blake. head. Uh, so, you how know, do we know that's you? In terms of segues, we love Segways on this show. Obviously not. Uh, but, well, no. This <laughs> Are they a weird. sponsor? <laughs> this is, this
2: is not, Are <laughs> <concerts>? <laughs> uh, yeah. a sponsor? It's comic book related because it was created by a comic book artist, Kid. The segway. Yeah. Jack came in the, one, one of the one of the one of the one great the EC greats, kid. We will pay them because that's well, how our that, care works. We, will,
0: we will
1: That pay. is something you would not have expected to learn. No. no, that is that is awesome piece of comic book trivia.
0: There you go. See, so, yeah, I had no that, idea. Thank you very much for that. Well, we're going to segue it's into had Paul's had new graphic novel, wasn't, which is wasn't that clever. Blood. <laughs> well, look, there's blood. There's blood. There's you no know. vampires. No, I know, but there's blood. So, you know, there's blood, there's vampires. See, I'm trying, I'm trying my absolute best to to, get this. Try harder. But we're going to showcase me and, yeah. there you go. We're going to showcase me talking to. Really? No, because I want to show how poorly I did it with Jessica Biel and Ryan Reynolds and David Goyer, and I bring that same same energy back to here. Uh, Talk to us about Brooklyn Blood. Talk to us, uh, give give the 30-second elevator pitch for the series.
2: Sure. So, Brooklyn Blood is a police procedural set in Brooklyn, because Mm -hmm. Brooklyn is cool now. Yes. Somehow. Yep. Says the old Brooklyn boy. (laughs) Um, And you have a series of serial killings taking place in Brooklyn. Seemingly, utterly unconnected victims and a couple of cops trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Turns out the places are the places where the most people died in horrible ways in New York history. Okay. Um, three of the New York's biggest disasters happened within about a mile and a half of each other in Brooklyn. Is it a coincidence? Is it not a coincidence? The cops have to figure this out, have to find the killer, and before it's done it's a very Lovecraftian story with a final battle on the bridge over Hellgate.
3: Oh. Okay. Where
2: another one of New York's great disasters took place. The largest loss of death in New York before 9-11. Wow, alright.
0: Now, the format which of this, was, though...
2: Was, wasn't that a uh, steamboat action? The sinking okay. of the General Slocum in a fire. Ooh!
0: So, so you get history, you get everything here. It's it's very fascinating, I like that. Um, the format that you guys did, though, which was great, though, is that you actually went through Dark Horse Presents first.
2: Yeah, the story was created, I wrote it, Wonderful artist named Tim Hamilton created the art. Um, Tim lives in Brooklyn and deeply immersed in the physical scenario of mm-hmm. it and just a very, very talented and imaginative guy. Sure. We built it as eight page chapters in Dark Horse Presents, which is an anthology. Mm-hmm. Eight page chapters over a year and a half is not an easy way to read a mystery. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. But it had a function of creating a certain pace to the story that might be of faster, more energetic pace than you naturally would have in a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. At least I hope it'll have that effect. And then it all got pulled together now for the first time as a trade paperback and was released a couple of weeks ago by Dark Horse, sure. available in your nice local comic shop, mm-hmm. local bookstore, or on your, not exactly local, but uh, as close as your computer. Online retailer or in digital form? Sure. What's your, what's your experience with digital? Um, are you are you
0: are you a lover of the paperback? Are you or are you adapting to the digital more and more?
2: I'm old. Um, <laughs> I like paper. I like the smell of paper.
0: That's what I miss. I miss um, walking into a comic book store and you get that smell. You know, actually, there, I guess you still get a smell, but you know, it's, it's different now. But
2: there's lots of virtues to digital availability. It allows things to be accessible to stay mm-hmm. in print I love getting my royalty statements where I'm getting you know 50 cents from something I wrote 30 years ago because two more people have seen it um, which could never have happened in a pa- paper universe sure um, and you can get it to people who we couldn't get it to before yeah you know when the graphic novel form started to be wonderful in the 80s we tried to figure out how you might be able to advertise it to get more people to enjoy it because we were doing this cool new thing. Well, first of all, you had to explain to them that this wasn't what they thought a comic book was. Right. Then you had to explain to them that the only place you could get it was probably a comic shop, and you had to go find one. And after you had figured out how to find it, then you had to go out of your way to go there and get it. This is not a good recipe for convincing yeah. someone to try something.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, the joy of digital is... If you like The Sound of Brooklyn Blood or any other comic or graphic novel you hear, you can check it out with a couple of clicks. Not a lot of bucks. Sure. If you like that, then you can go to a comic shop and say, hey, I really like this thing. What else do you have? And the people there are very knowledgeable. They're great at hand-selling. They're great at steering you. They can say, oh, you really like fantasy? Well, you want to try Sandman or you're really into science fiction. Try Saga or try Monstrous, have what's, what's the flavors that you like when you go into Baskin-Robbins. We've, sure. We've got, got some of those flavors. Sure. What, uh, what do you see yourself doing in the industry these days
0: uh, coming up beyond this? I mean, I know you said you have a new, new miniseries potentially coming
2: out and you have other things going on, but uh, you know, what, brings, what keeps bringing you back? Well, what brings me back to comics is the fact that I really feel like comics are in a second golden age. The diversity of creativity that's going on now is incredibly wonderful, and you're seeing things like Reina's work, mm-hmm. which comes out there is designed for an audience that we don't have.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and within a couple of years, she's got a half million people reading her books. Yeah, and those half million people are running around saying, "I like that." What else do you have? And suddenly, you have a Barnes and Noble. Kids' graphic novel section, mm-hmm. and a bunch of—you can call them imitators, you can call them inspired by, you can call them new voices. Mm-hmm. They're all of the above, trying to reach that audience, and that audience in another couple of years is going to be grown up enough to start creating their own stuff. Sure, it's a really cool and wonderful time. Uh, a book like Brooklyn Blood wasn't likely to be published 20 years ago in sure. comics. Uh, most of my career in comics, as a writer, I was writing pre-established features, things tied to the DC mythology. Mm-hmm. I got to do a couple of originals along the way, but just a couple, and they were you know, blips in a career of 500 stories. Sure. Um, to be able to sit there and say, I feel like writing this kind of story, not a lot of them are being published right now, mm-hmm. but This kind of story sells really well in prose, does really well in movies and television. Mm -hmm. Maybe people would like it as a graphic novel. Let me give it a shot. What the hell? And we'll see who shows up. What's, uh, I mean, I'm sure
0: there's so many moments that you can think of, but what's the first one that comes to mind from your tenure at DC that just made you stop and be like, this is the coolest job in the world?
2: There's so many. I think, to me, it was walking out. My my assistant of many years, Linda Fields, used to keep a legal pad of incoming calls that I had to respond. Mm-hmm. And if I had a crappy day, I'd wander out, I'd stare at it, and the pad might be Chris Nolan, Neil Adams, Neil Gaiman, um, maybe a printer, maybe somebody at Diamond. Sure. And I'd look at that and say, all right, your inner 14-year-old really has to shut the fuck up. Because <laughs> I don't you know i don't care how annoying the hr problem is or the budget problem is or the marketing problem that you're trying to solve the 14 year old you would just kill to do this stuff yeah and and i
0: got to how did how did you ascend to that level too actually I'm, I'm always curious to hear the pathways that got that got you where you need to go it's really a series of
2: kind of bizarre luck
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it always
2: is, right? I was a New York kid of a generation where pretty much any New York kid who loved comics got a chance to be in the business. Yeah, The industry was still centered here. The older generation was fading out either from retirement or their styles mm-hmm. were getting out of date. So kids would get a chance to be an assistant editor or a production schlep or mm-hmm. something. Sure. And a lot of them would give up quickly because they... Didn't care for it. Some would stick with it and become really wonderfully talented writers. People like Len Wein, Marv Wolfman came up that way. Sure. Wonderfully talented artists. Um, so I got, I was doing one of the early fanzines. Got to know everybody in the business from that. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking down the hall one day, and Joe Orlando, who is one of the great editors in the business, mm-hmm. one of the great artists as well. Um, hey, you, come here. Um, <laughs> Joe usually couldn't remember anybody's name. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to write my letter columns? uh I'm not a writer, Joe. uh I read your fanzine you write well enough to write a letter column. <laughs> That's, this is not a very high bar, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> but still, I'm a 16-year-old kid, a high school senior, and suddenly uh-huh. I'm a professional writer. Um, his assistant editor then was going to take the summer off on an extended vacation. He said, "You want to? You want to come in and fill in?" Yeah, sure. So I'm 16, and I'm an assistant editor on the masthead of a dozen DC comics. Mm -hmm. Um, His assistant doesn't come back. I didn't kill the guy. He went off to (laughs) write write some wonderful stories and do some great work for the UN. Um, (laughs) And I never left.
0: And that's how you do it. When we come back, we're going to talk about a property that we all know, we all love, and was one of the major, major properties at DC, uh, getting a little HBO love. I'm going to go spinning the racks next.
2: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
6: Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?
2: TalkingAlternative.com
1: I had a ticket bought for me by, oh, okay. Okay. by an enthusiastic friend. No. Did you know that that
0: friend now asked me to go?
1: So does that mean I don't have a ticket anymore? This is correct. This is correct.
0: I actually passed it on to Sam. So now Sam so is going, going with your friend.
1: With my friend to the show. Well, now I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> and none of it's good.
3: Secrets of the Sire. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Secrets of the Sire, We Talk Comics, Movies, TV, Pop Culture, every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, NYC. I want to thank Alexa Fox for connecting us with Paul, getting him on the show, and I also want to blame Alexa because every time she jumps on, there's some sort of technical difficulty that goes into it. So if you're watching the Facebook feed and you're like, hey, they stopped streaming, well, that was Alexa's fault. She was busy commenting and, oh, you know. That's what happens. That's gonna leave a mark. <laughs> <laughs> I say that in jest. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> you're gonna and, uh, pay for that. You're gonna uh, pay for
0: that. Look, she freely admitted that that uh, <laughs> that, uh, that she was the reason that uh, that it didn't that it didn't work. I'm just saying, she did, she did, she did. You're on your own. I know. All right. We've got uh, Paul Levitz in studio right now, uh, former president of DC Comics, still comic book creating, still doing uh, amazing stuff, teaching, uh, going everywhere. Let our audience know how they can connect with you online.
2: Sure. So you can find me on my website, the exotically named www.paullevitz.com. There you go. All right. Uh, I'm on Facebook as Paul Levitz. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't tweet enough to be worth mm. following, very energetically. But, if, if you but got, when you do tweet, it's it, legendary. It's if, you, if you got nothing <laughs> better, if you got nothing better to do, add me. But, uh, uh, the the f- Facebook, i I'll, I'll post when there's either an article or when sure. I'm putting something fresh up on my website, or when there's any news of what the next trouble I'm making somewhere in the comic book business is. That's exciting. All right. Speaking
0: of, we don't have. The legendary spin the racks, which is, oh, which is very upsetting. But darn it. we go spin that racks. The fa- most fantastical pop culture news available. Watchmen uh, wah, wah,
1: wah. has
0: been picked up to <laughs> full series by HBO. This is from the Nerdist. Who watches The Watchmen? You will. Next year on HBO, Damon Lindelof's pilot picked up for uh, a full television series today. Lindelof. Based in the iconic the comic book series by uh, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Um, while the television series... Pickup isn't much of a shock. Uh, the story itself might surprise longtime fans of comics. This version of Watchmen will not just be a simple adaption, promising the to not. break new ground mm-hmm. by taking the story in a different direction that remains to be seen.
1: Yes, by Damon Lindelof.
0: I will sit there and which say. Which
1: basically will be.
0: That is my gold standard for anything in the medium. Not in the that is the book I hand to people when I say, hey, give give graphic novels a try, give comics a try, read this. I think Zack Snyder say you won't be
1: happy with I it. I think Zack
0: Snyder did a an admirable job doing the un doable? Yeah. The uh, yeah, I was gonna say the impossible. Um and you shouldn't start. Right. It's I know, well, you, 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 you notice know, sorry, I caught myself. Me mm-hmm. fell English? That's impossible. possible. Um <laughs> I, I don't need to see this. Like, why are we... Do- like, are you going to... It's Lindelof. It's going to be great, man. I like Lindelof, too. i got no problem with Lindelof. All
2: right, that's fine.
0: Paul, are you going to watch the series? <laughs> are you going to watch the series with any kind of vigor?
2: You know, I'm sure, I, I'm sure I'll check it out. Uh, I mean, I don't watch a lot of the comic book adaptations on television. HBO tends to budget things at a higher level and give more production time and really support its creative people in an extraordinary way. So I'll be curious to see what the use of that potential is. I check out most new HBO series that are in any genre that I like. Um, you know, Damon's a good guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, mm. I've enjoyed some of his work over time. I know he respects it. Mm. Um, it's not <laughs> not something I'd be putting at the top of my list of wouldn't it be a great idea to do? <laughs> um, it's, a good, it's a good, way to put yeah, it. Actually, done. Well, very diplomatic. No, it just you have a structural problem in that. I agree with everything Michael said about this the the graphic novel, the the original Watchmen series. It was one of the the great works. Seminal. I, I think Zach really created a work of art in his adaptation. I'm amazed by it at the time, and yeah, and I've read. I don't know the dozen Watchmen scripts that we had working mm-hmm. with some really talented movie people over the 20 years sure. of trying to develop it as a movie. If it wasn't impossible, it was the next thing to impossible. Yeah, um, it was Lord of the Rings impossible at the
1: time before they did Lord of the Rings? It was like it was up there with the unfilmable, you know, yeah, like the
2: great unfilmable works in, it, in a different way, obviously than Lord of the Rings. Of course, That's but the one of the real challenges you've got about it for a tv series in a sense you have the end revealed and i think prequels are always challenging as a writer sure how do you build the drama in so i don't i I don't envy damon the 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 challenge of what he has to do here why would you even do
0: that right like why would you even take that on
2: Sometimes taking on something that is near impossible is a really exciting challenge. To 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 be undiplomatic, he's not thinking about the
1: ending. He's not thinking about yeah. the overall because, yeah. like, they did the same thing with um uh, what was it the Left Behind sure. series that he did, mm-hmm. and they very specifically said, "I know you're not going to tell us, but do you know where this is going? Yeah. Do you know what happened." And he, he just said, look, uh, hopefully the show will be good enough that people stop <laughs> asking that question. <laughs> Which means he didn't know, you know? Yeah. So it, in, in a context, yeah. along with other yeah. reasons I have personally that that's not necessary to go into now, it's not, I, don't think, I don't think there's going to be any emphasis on the overall theme of the book, Watchmen. I think, yeah. he, I think what he's going to choose to do is he's going to try to emphasize the phenomenon of each character, the problem, I find, the problem with that is that the, each character is phenomenally um, uh, enigmatic or emblematic sure. of the story in and of itself, of the, you know, of the kind of the doomsday clock, of the, you know, the, the, the notion. And so to emphasize each character separately and to aggrandize them separately is kind of, it's potentially going to lose yeah. the the main idea, the main feel of the entire piece. I mean,
0: I'll I'll wrap it with this, and we don't even get into we won't even have time to get into the fact that Big Bang Theory is now ending. Uh, that was news today, isn't it exciting? It's ending, it's over. Uh, but the fact that Aww. you know, the new LeBron James series has them all sitting around talking about race relations and human relations. And sorry, spoilers, guys, if you haven't read Watchmen out there and you haven't seen the movie yet. John Stewart is in this barber shop, and he says, "You know, the only way human beings are ever going to come together is if there's an alien invasion." And I'm like, "That's Watchmen. Like, that's Watchmen. Like that's that's like the premise. That's like the core of this entire thing. And it comes to the end, and it's like, you can do this in a TV series. You can draw. Like the whole point of this was to was to kind of kind of reveal so humanity. Never, I mean, to theoretically, humanity.
1: they're never going to get there. I know. You know, because they can't unless they unless." I mean, it would be amazing, amazing uh, visual storytelling if they managed to incorporate any of ah, that stuff into
0: the television. the television. Show. Well, I want to thank my guest, Paul Rebitts, did a fantastic job. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope we don't uh, it Bore him destroy him. your <laughs> reputation uh, oh, as, as a permanent <laughs> uh, professional in the industry. Um, check out Brooklyn Blood by Dark Horse Comics next week. We welcome Cheering Comics. It's a it's a smaller imprint. Uh, They're doing some really phenomenal things, and uh, we're going to talk with some of the brains behind that uh, that operation next week. And we're going to talk about some really super cool things because it's always happening in this industry. When we come back next week,
2: you are listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
1: at www.talkingalternative.com Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day.
3: Talking Alternative
6: Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Liebowitz, your conscious consultant,